Welcome to Beyond Your Newsfeed, a podcast of the Political Science Department of Providence College. My name is William Hudson, and I am host of this podcast. Here at Providence College, we have a lot of students who, for the first time in their lives, voted in a presidential election. Most students are the age, even those who are seniors and might now be 21 years of age or so, uh, back when the last presidential election was held in 2016, most of them were under the age of 18 and ineligible to vote. So they had a great experience a couple of weeks ago to cast their first presidential ballot. So for today's podcast, I wanted to invite uh, on the program a small number of students to talk about their experiences in the election of 2020, uh, the first presidential, their first presidential election. And I have with me today uh, six students, Cole Doherty, Carson Giles, Sophia Belin Carrillo, Dean Williams, Sienna Strickland, and Megan LaBay. So Cole, Carson, Sophia, Dean, Sienna, and Megan, welcome to Beyond Your Newsfeed. Thank you for having us. Uh, thank thank you. Dean. Yeah, we have to remember podcasts are like radio. Uh, we don't know you're there unless you speak up. Just nodding your head on the Zoom screen doesn't work. Okay. And apropos, uh, as we talk today, uh, I, I will sometimes call in some of you by name, uh, but I would suggest at least in the initial uh, moments of the, of the podcast that when you speak up, uh, uh, identify yourself, like saying, uh, uh, this is Sienna, and, and say what you want to say. Okay. So I thought the way we'd start off today is I want to go around to have each one of you individually, uh, one, introduce yourself more completely than I was able to do, uh, say something about your hometown, uh, where you're from, and your major. <clears throat> and then I'd like you to talk about uh, exactly how you went about voting this time, whether you voted absentee or in person, and what that experience was like. Was it exciting? Was it not so exciting? Was it difficult? Was it easy? Okay, and so I think we'll start off here with, uh, and I should tell the listeners that two of the students we're talking to today are uh, podcast producers, Beyond Your Newsfeed producers, Sienna Strickland and Megan LeBay. Uh, and uh, I think we'll start off with, uh, with Megan. Uh, you want to get us started? Hello, and thank you so much for having me today. Um, my name is Megan Labby. I'm from North Smithfield, Rhode Island. I'm a junior political science and women and gender studies double major. And this year for the first time ever, I voted early in person and it was super exciting. I was very excited to have my ballot be counted, to have my voice be heard in this um, presidential election. Okay, Sienna, you wanna go next? Sure, so my name is Sienna. I'm from Taunton, Massachusetts. I'm a junior right now studying political science with minors in writing and philosophy. And I actually voted on election day because I slacked and didn't request any early ballots or absentee ballots. So I voted in person, um, actually right before the polling station closed. And there wasn't a ton of people there when I went. And um, I was very excited as well. I think leading up to the election, I was a little intimidated. Um, by it, so it felt like a lot of knowledge was kind of overflowing. And I, I didn't really know how to sort through all of it. But um, at the end of the day, I was, I was pretty happy with the whole process. Carson, why don't you tell us your experience? Hi, I'm uh, Carson Giles. I'm from Princeton, New Jersey. Um, and I'm also a political science major. I have a, um, not declared a minor yet. Um, and I actually made the really hard choice not to vote in this past election um, because um, I just really grappled with things. And it, it actually came down to just a few days before. And I just came to the conclusion that I wasn't going to vote. And uh, I'd say this election was nerve-wracking for me and um, a little bit unsettling at times. Okay, well that's an interesting perspective, Carson. Uh, we'll be interested in hearing more from you about, you know, about the decision not to vote because certainly as American citizens, we have the right to elect and not to vote if we want and, and, uh, and some people have very good reasons for doing so. And so we'll be interested in hearing more about that from Carson. Uh, Dean. 
Absolutely. Uh, so my name is Dean Williams. I'm a senior economics major from Albany, New York, and I voted this year by absentee ballot. Um, I requested it months in advance. I got it. It seemed like a, a pretty smooth process to do. It was just a bunch of instructions to follow, but you know, nothing, nothing too out of the ordinary or, uh, or too difficult to do. So I was able to complete it and uh, I had my vote cast, which was great. Cool. Hi, my name is Cole Doherty. I'm from North Massapequa, New York. I'm a junior political science major, haven't declared a minor yet, but I'm trying for a minor in philosophy. And this year I voted uh, through absentee ballot. Um, it was very exciting, but I got two absentee ballots in the mail and that was kind of like frightening for me. I ended up calling the board of elections uh, of my county and, you know, I let them know, but I didn't vote twice. <laughs> Um, so I ripped one up, I filled out the other and then sent it in, which was uh, yeah. a pretty cool feeling. Yeah. You're, as long as you don't vote twice, if you get two absentee ballots, you're all right. <laughs> so, and Sophia. Hi, my name is Sophia Carrillo. I'm from San Diego, California. I'm a junior. Um, I'm a ma I'm majoring in political science and minoring in women and gender studies. Um, and I voted an absentee ballot and it was a really exciting, but like everyone else said, like overwhelming experience. Cause I felt like, I don't know, it was my first time voting a presidential election and it being so, um, I guess high stakes in my, like, it felt just, it was very anxiety inducing. Okay. Well, thanks for those intros. I'm glad we have a sort of distribution of different ways of voting. A couple of people voted in person, some absentee ballots and one non-voter. That's great. Uh, so that'll make our conversation uh, uh, interesting here. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, the decision that you made uh, prior to the election. Uh, I'd like to know uh, if we could just talk a little bit about when you decided to vote. Did you make your decision, you know, months or weeks ago, or was it a decision you really didn't make until the very last minute? Uh, and and from Carson, we can hear from him about oh. Why, why he decided not to vote and when he made that decision. Uh, okay, so let's talk about that. And then I'd also like you to you know, begin talking about uh, what, what in influenced your choice ultimately. Uh, was it a, a, something about the candidate's character, certain, some kind of issue or issues or some, something that happened in the campaign <clears throat> or in the country over the time? So. So whoever wants to start with that, uh, when did you make up your decision and, and what influenced that decision? Anybody, speak up. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I made up my mind for my decision um, just a few days before the election um, to not vote. Um, and my main thinking, and one of the things that impacted me the most was actually the presidential and vice president um, debates. And for me, the biggest factor um, for not voting was that I did not want to vote for President Donald uh, Trump. And um, I wanted to vote for Joe Biden, but during the presidential uh, debates, I found his health was actually a little bit worse than I thought. And I just couldn't get past the fact that ide like, ideologically, I do not align with his vice president, Kamala Harris. And so that was like the main factor in my decision um, to not vote at all. Okay, so that's interesting. So uh, if I understand you, then you're saying that uh, you knew you didn't want to vote for Trump, but you just couldn't. In, in terms of the, the vote for the, the Biden-Harris team, you know, because of your own personal beliefs and ideologies. Okay. Some of the rest of you, what, what was your story? I, uh, I can go. Uh, so this is Dean. I, uh, I decided to vote. Um, it was somewhat late. I ended up voting for Trump. Um, originally, I wasn't completely set on doing it, but uh, as time went on, um, I, I picked up a really good tidbit. I'm not keen much to, to Trump's Twitter or some of the rhetoric that he says. Um, but a lot of, a lot of what I had realized is, well, that's, that's not changing and that's not necessarily the, the role of the president in the way the government works. And so when it came down to it, when I just looked at, uh, the policy of the two presidents or presidential candidates, it, it, it wasn't quite close for me. Um, I'm big on the economy as an, as an economics major. Obviously, a lot of uh, economic issues are the ones that I focus on the most. And the economy under Trump was great prior to COVID. Um, I didn't really have any complaints with him cutting taxes for you know, small businesses or across the board in general. Um, he had renegotiated trade deals that went very favorably for Americans in the country. And so 
I I voted for President Trump, and uh, I was I was happy with my vote. Okay, so that's interesting. That you were a policy voter then. It was really the policy agenda of the president that you wanted to endorse and and brought about your 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 vote. Okay, correct. Good. Yeah. Okay, chime in. I want to hear some more voices here on this question. Um, this is Sophia. Um, so I decided a, like a month in advance, like before the like. I probably beginning of the year, if not probably when Trump was elected. Um, I didn't want to vote for Trump because I didn't like his rhetoric throughout the four years and his hand, like more recently his handling of COVID um, personally. Um, so while I did not completely like, agree with everything Biden and Kamala like stood for, I decided to settle with them just because I felt like my vote was more meaningful. I felt my vote was meaningful there. So, so you're a character voter then? It was something about Trump's character that you objected to? Yes, yes. Okay. Was there a policy dimension there? or? Uh... Um, I think it was mostly character. I mean, I, yeah, I think it was mostly character for me. Cole? Okay, so just reflecting on the previous two answers, that was kind of like the fundamental struggle for me. Um, I constantly debated with myself and with my peers about what the role of the president really should be if it's strictly policy-based, if it's strictly character-based. And, you know, you look at Donald Trump, there are a lot of people who would support his policies, but think of his character as being, um, you know, not suitable for the free world. Um, so those were things that I had to think about. And over the summer, I had set my mind on voting for Donald Trump. However, that's when I started becoming conscious of is the role of the president more than what his policies are. And over time, um, you know, leading up to the election, that's when I eventually got convinced or convinced myself that the character weighed more than his policies. Um, so I eventually voted for Joe Biden. Um, and the the defining factor really was the character and kind of the intangibles apart from the policy. Very good. So who else, who have you not heard from here? Megan? I can go next. Yes, uh, yeah. So this is Sienna speaking. Um, and I agree. I think there is a huge tension for me leading up to this election between policy and character. And it was difficult because I feel like I could be hypercritical to both of these candidates on both of those um, like using both of those like critiques because I thought there were things about Biden's character that were reprehensible and policies that I disagreed with and the same thing for Trump. Ultimately, I casted a vote in favor of Biden because I felt like the, the effect that Trump has on this nation, whether you support him or not, is undeniable. There's people that are just like very upset that he's president. And I felt like casting a vote in favor of Biden might kind of help like ease some of this tension that we felt building and building and building. So I feel like I cast a vote more in favor of, I don't know, like the effect of that the president would have on the people, which I guess could be, you could say that's character. Um, but I, you know, I don't really like applaud Biden's character. I just think he's less inflammatory is a good way to put that. So, yeah. And I also decided to vote, um, because I wanted to have a say in some of those other questions on the ballot as well, besides just the, the president. Mm -hmm. so, Sienna, so it, I, I'm, I'm getting a sense that maybe like Carson, you were potentially a non-voter? Potentially, yeah, actually. Um, leading up to the election, I was just super uh, disenfranchised with the whole thing. After watching the debate, I, I was super frustrated. I felt like I couldn't really genuinely choose someone that I felt like was better than the other. Um, but I guess I just differed because I still thought my vote would be more valuable than not voting. So I kind of cast it anyways. Okay, Megan. This is Megan speaking. And I just wanted to um, touch on what Sophia had said and agree with her in the fact that I felt like my decision on who I was going to vote for was kind of made up in 2016. Like as I watched that inauguration, I just remember sitting there feeling so defeated 
as a, as a woman and as like a, a woman who comes from the lower class, I just felt like completely disheartened and very defeated by um, the rhetoric that had come forward about what Trump had said about women across our country and about people of color and all of the allegations that were made against him. And so, although I was just 16 at that time and I didn't even know and no one knew who the Democratic candidate would be, I just knew that I would have to cast my vote for the Democratic candidate to get Trump out of office. And I think another leading factor for me was just how poorly Trump had done in terms of um, handling the climate crisis that we're currently in and um, taking the U.S. out of the um, Paris Agreement. And so I just, I felt I had to cast my vote for a candidate that would do more for our um, climate crisis right now. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So I'm not hearing a lot of enthusiasm for President-elect Biden here from anybody. Uh, Dean voted against him, and the rest of you who voted for Biden are just not uh, too excited about him. Uh, and, and Carson couldn't bring himself to vote for him, even though he didn't want to vote for Trump. Uh, what's that about? What, what is it about President-elect Biden that's kind of blah, that you just can't get excited about? Um, my, maybe I'll start with this. Um, I'm Cole speaking, and one thing that I don't really love about Joe Biden and his administration right now is it seems like they're taking an approach of we're here to save you as in like you need, you need a president or you need a government to come and save you as if we're not able to do that ourselves. And then, then that begs the question of save us from what? And so, you know, you could debate this as much as you want and you know, I don't want to get like, too much into that, but I don't like the idea of needing someone to save us and needing to rely on a new president, a new government official to be the guy who's like, um, you know, I'm here. I like, we are here to save you. I think it's a little undermining of the resiliency of Americans. That's an interesting perspective, Cole, though. One of the things that Biden claims he's going to save us from is the COVID crisis. And it's interesting that none of you mentioned COVID crisis. What did that not, was it not a factor? It seems to have sort of changed all our lives in so many ways. Here we are talking on Zoom instead of face-to-face. What role did that play? And and did did some of the rest of you have this feeling that Cole had that, that, uh, about Biden wanting to save us? I don't know. Somebody else pick it up there. I, that's, that's a very incoherent question. So make it coherent by giving a intelligent answer. Well, this is Sienna speaking. I think I want to address the point you just brought up about COVID. I think Biden kind of showed himself to be a little bit unreliable and out of it because in the beginning of this whole thing, he critiqued Donald Trump and his travel bans and said that, you know, we shouldn't be restricting these things and saying it's xenophobic and all this stuff. And then by the time the debates come around, he completely backtracked and said he never said any of that. So I think, um, at least for me, that just kind of showed that, you know, he's kind of an inauthentic politician that just says what he needs to say when he thinks people want to hear it. And um, that kind of undermined, you know, in my eyes, his ability to handle the COVID crisis um, because he couldn't even really like keep his facts straight or own up what he had said um and yeah as far as far as like for what cole said with his criticism of biden wanting to save us i think um this might be a partisan thing like with democrats versus republicans because i think the stereotypical idea of the parties is that the republicans are kind of like pull yourself up by the bootstraps the democrats are wanting to help and make the government bigger and I think that's like that's the constant tension that we have here in the U.S. is like how big should our government be? How much should it be helping the people versus, I guess, empowering them to help themselves? Um, so yeah, I think that's that's an interesting distinction, Colby. So, so, in terms of COVID, do you all think that the government could have done better in responding to 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 COVID? I know some of the rest of you who voted perhaps against Trump was that part of your antipathy towards Trump, that the way he handled COVID, or was it just irrelevant? Uh, before you talked about his character, and I guess by that I mean, you know, his demeanor and things, but 
was COVID any kind of a factor there? I know Sophia, Megan, and you were both, I think, a couple of more passionate anti-Trumpers. Uh, yeah, this is Megan speaking. I, Although I failed to mention it in my previous answer, COVID and Trump's response to COVID was definitely a big part of why I voted against him. Just because I felt it was like grossly irresponsible of him to like to refuse to wear a mask and have that so publicly displayed for a lot of his followers when we know through like the scientific evidence and everything else that's coming out that masks really can save lives. Um, I think that undoubtedly um, plays into the the number of deaths that we have had during this COVID epidemic. And I really just think that he could have done so much more. Like in March, in those early months of the pandemic, when it was getting um, bad in the U.S. for the first time, I just remember watching him on television saying that it's all going to go away. It's going to be a miracle and it's going to disappear. And now we have over 200,000 Americans dead. And so I can't help but feel like he was irresponsible and he ignored all of the information coming from the scientists and the doctors just to... I don't know, keep the economy open. It just seems a little bit irresponsible to me, to say the least. Yeah, but uh, but I think maybe Cole, Sienna, and uh, Carson, you're, you're skeptical that my, Biden would do any better? Uh, this is Carson speaking. And I, I um, going into the beginning of the pandemic was the beginning of the end for me with um, Donald Trump. Just because before the pandemic, I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt. I tried to give him, you know, the fair shake. And um, kind of like what Megan just talked about, I just could not deal with the fact that it seemed like so much of his personal behavior was against what we were hearing, what was going to help with the pandemic, specifically mask wearing and social distancing. Early on in the pandemic, my sister had to cancel her wedding. Um, she lost her job. My dad's um, job was in jeopardy as well. And it was aggravating and annoying to feel as if that you're impacted by the pandemic, but the president of the United States can have a huge event without social distancing and masks on the South lawn of the white house. But I can't go to my friend's dormitory to hang out on a Friday night. So like, I feel like that, that kind of has been a built up frustration for me. And when you looked at Joe Biden, I mean, he was wearing a mask. He was willing to comply with the restrictions. He was putting on the right example. And he also had a plan. And when it came to Donald Trump, I just, I never really heard a plan. It just kind of seemed like he was trying to be the PR director for the COVID like situation. So and he was doing a bad job of that. So that, that's really what it came down to to me. Personal, his personal actions were, in my view, atrocious in the last like six, seven months. Cole, I think you, you might be uh, unhappy with a Biden plan, Biden wanting to save us, or what, what was your view on that? So the way that I look at COVID-19 and what's been happening is this is a new situation. And, you know, I'm not going to claim to be an expert. And even with scientists, um, there have been like conflicting, I guess, takes over the few months. Um, you know, people say one thing, then a few months later, then it's a little different. I don't know. And, you know, we can look at hindsight as 2020. I don't know if Biden would have done a better job in the past few months. Um, that's all speculative to me. Um, I also don't know if people would have listened to him more. So I'm, I'm hesitant to immediately say that um, we could have avoided the position we're in now. And because of that, like unability to compare what Trump has done, I don't want to look at really the past um, and and kind of discredit what's happened uh, for Trump. Moving on to the future, um, if Biden takes office um, in January, um, you know, I don't know that people are going to listen. And if, you know, like they're saying right now that it's the 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 virus is spreading through like a uh, living room spread where people are having people over and um, you know, things like that. What's happening in the Midwest right now. I don't know if Joe Biden is going to be um, like the defining factor of someone saying, okay, I'm not going to go over my neighbor's house or I'm not going to go over my cousin's house. Um, so I don't know if it's really uh, the president who can, who determines what happens with COVID-19 and that's kind of my apprehension of like accepting him as saving us from COVID. Right. Skepticism that government is going to be able to make a difference here. Uh, even if I guess so, yeah. Like the way Trump did things. Sophia, I think you've been wanting to get in here. 
with your yeah. Um, so this is Sophia. Going off of what Cole and Megan have just said, I think that while we can be speculative about like whether or not Biden would have done a better job with handling COVID, I think we can look at like the months coming forward, like in the future. And when Biden does take office in January, if people don't listen, I feel like as if it's because of what Trump has been saying the last few months, uh, like the last like year almost about it and like his own personal response like everyone else was saying like holding like huge gatherings without social distancing and like the way that he's been living the last few months kind of gives like a I guess like a a bubble of like oh like it's okay if you continue to live the way you do um but I think we can look at other countries like I've heard a lot about New Zealand and how New Zealand has handled um their COVID response and like the way that their president has handled it, like they've been able to suppress the numbers and keep COVID pretty much like pretty under control for the most part. Um, I'm not 100% on the facts on that, but from what I've read, um, but I think a lot of it, how the country goes forward coming come January is really dependent or is dependent on how Trump had handled it the last few months. Because I think if he would have in March decided to mandate masks or do, you know, be more, put more of a hard foot down regarding handling the pandemic, I think this election might have gone differently as well, because I think people might have felt like, oh, he's really changing. But the way that, you know, 250,000 lives have been lost due to his, like, his handling, and I mean, other state government handling of COVID, I think it's really like showing of like how it's going to go the next few months. Dean, as our Trump voter, how did you factor in uh, Trump and COVID and how did you process that as you were thinking about your decision? Absolutely. So it, the the number 200,000 deaths, you hear it a lot. And I don't think President Trump has a large factor in, in any of those deaths. Um, the Biden plan going forward is no different than Trump's minus an individual mask ma- or a, a mask mandate. Um, and I don't per se agree with a mask mandate. I wear my mask everywhere. I'm very pro mask, but I don't think it's the government's role to tell individuals that they have to wear a mask. And more so, I don't think a mask saves 200,000 lives. I think many individuals that aren't wearing the mask and the ones that are getting COVID, as we've seen on our campus, are the ones that are blatantly ignoring the rules, the ones that are going into people's houses that have COVID or that they don't know have COVID but do, and they're the ones who end up getting it. And so a lot of those lives lost are not due to Trump. It's, it's just due to people's ignorance of the fact that they're, they're going into areas where they may potentially end up with COVID. And so when a lot of those deaths get blamed on Trump, especially in the media, it, it bothers me because I don't, I don't per se think that Donald Trump's rhetoric or the way in which he doesn't wear a mask really affects the fact that 200,000 people are dying, especially considering a lot of those are within cities or with older populations where, where people are more susceptible and, and people are, are at higher risk of dying from it. And so as much as, as it's been blamed on President Trump, I think it's really just easy to put your blame on Trump. Whereas if you look at Joe Biden's policies, other than the mask mandate, there, there really isn't anything that separates him from, uh, from Trump. Yeah. So, Dean, it looks like, you know, there's a, you have a different view than, say, Megan on uh, the ability of the president uh, by or what Carson was saying earlier, too, the ability of the president symbolically to encourage people to behave the way they need to behave to control the, the, the pandemic. You just think individuals are, are not going to respond. They're going to do it. Correct. Yeah. I don't, I don't believe the presidency has a, has a large effect on, on the behavior. And that's, you know, part of the reason why I voted for Trump, right? The, the character aspect didn't, didn't play into my decision as much as it did the rest of the people on this panel. But that being said, I don't, I don't think that Trump's character makes a, a significant impact on the lives that we've lost, unfortunately, due to, due to COVID-19. So him not wearing a mask, him holding large rallies. I mean, he, he does wear his mask occasionally, but early on he didn't. And part of that is due to the, the CDC flip-flopping back and forth and his absolute hate of, of them and, and other health organizations due to the, the lack of information that they were providing to him. Um, but I, I don't necessarily think that, that the presidency is, is changing those lives lost. Okay, well, that's an interesting perspective. Uh, can can we go on to a little different topic? Uh, I, there, there is. I, I have a lot of other questions about, you know, what might be done by the Biden administration. But, but let's put this off for a minute. I'm curious about where you got your information about the election. 
what, what are your media sources? Uh, and there's been a lot of talk about misinformation and distortions in the media. Uh, how, did, how do you and people of your generation cope with that? Does somebody want to start us off here? This is Cole speaking. Um, so I try to read the New York Times uh, quite frequently, actually. I try to read it every day. And I would say my primary source of election news and really news in general is the New York Times. I don't really, I don't really think that it's a good idea to be you know, getting news strictly from CNN or Fox News or one of those partisan networks. So uh, I, I try to stay with a published newspaper organization. Okay. That's very mainstream, New York Times. Right. I read the New York Times every morning, Cole. So, so I'm with you with that. But some of the rest of you, what other, where, where, do, you, where do you learn about what's going on in the world, what's going on in politics? Uh, this is Carson speaking, and um, I, I really like NPR. Um, it's easy to get on, like, Alexa, uh, if I'm on the Amazon Alexa. So I usually just ask, ask for the NPR report in the morning, and then I also take advantage of um, the Wall Street Journal and New York Times free subscriptions for Providence College students. So that's how I got most of my election news. But I think um, on the topic of, like, where a lot of people our age get their election news, I think that social media seems to be the number one source of a lot of news and that that's like, and that even includes, I think, TikTok and Instagram, where maybe news sources aren't as active, but you're still seeing news go around. You're still hearing about things on that, just like any other social platform. So and that's where a lot of younger kids get their uh, information in regard to politics and elections. So, so you and Cole are the are the exceptions, relying upon the mainstream media, and I'm glad to hear that you're taking advantage of the free subscriptions to Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. Uh, I wish more Providence College students would do that. Uh, but you're saying your peers uh, deal with social media. Uh, well, what about, you know, Sienna, Megan, what about you? Uh, I mean, do you agree with that? Uh, or are you social media users? Uh, Sienna? Yeah, yeah. So I, I agree. I think most of our generation probably gets most of their news from some type of online source, some type of social media. Um, and I would agree, like I do as well. And it's not something I really seek out. It just kind of pops up on my feed. So or like someone else will be tweeting about it. Someone that you follow will be tweeting about politics. So you just kind of hear things through the grapevine that way. Um, and around this year, actually, I started getting more into podcasts as a source of information because I felt like, the news networks and social media were just being very, um, you know, sensationalizing things, not really getting all of the details of these stories. And I liked the podcast format more because it was a longer conversation between people and I felt like it was more informative. So that's kind of how, you know, I've transitioned um, regarding where I get my news and my information from. But I do think most of our generation probably does rely on social media for those things. Yeah. So, well, that's interesting. Podcast. So, so did other, do others of you, did you uh, listen to podcasts, get information from podcasts? Cole, you, you did, uh, Dean, right? So, so other than that excellent podcast beyond your newsfeed from the political science department, what podcasts did you find valuable? Those of you who listen to podcasts. This is Cole. Um, yeah. So I'll say that for, for news-related content, I um, listen to two primary podcasts. I listen to Yang Speaks. Um, I love that. I think it's a very informative podcast, and I love his uh, his guests that they have on the show. And I also listen to... It's the former presidential candidate, right? Yes, yes, uh, from Andrew Yang. And I also listen to Dan Crenshaw's We Hold These Truths. It's... Um, a great podcast as well. But the reason that I listen to both of those is because you get a Republican perspective. Dan Crenshaw is a Texas representative, Republican, and Andrew Yang, um, Democratic, former presidential candidate. So I like getting both of those perspectives and they both have exceptional guests. I would also like to chip in that 
I'd recommend the Joe Rogan experience for anyone interested in finding a good podcast. And the reason is, I think Joe Rogan is a pretty apolitical figure. He doesn't really have an agenda that he's trying to enforce. He's just a normal, curious guy. Um, and he uses pretty like normal language. So I think it's, it's super accessible for people that aren't super into politics and don't really know everything that's going on. Dean, you said you listen to podcasts. Yeah, so I listen to pretty much everything all day long. I listen to politics pretty much while I do work. When I'm not doing work in the shower, I, I listen to podcasts. So um, I listen to anything from ABC News Dateline to the New York Times puts out a really good podcast every day. I listen to the Ben Shapiro show. I've listened to Dan Crenshaw's plenty of times. Um, I committed myself. I downloaded the CNN app. I even watch that every now and then. Like, there's For me, there's no apolitical source, really, of, of media anymore. And so what I do is I commit myself to listening to everything and anything I can find on the internet and on, you know, just podcast searching, um, just so I can get a, a well-rounded perspective on, on the issues at hand. Um, and especially, you know, a lot, of, a lot of kids our age use Twitter, but the biggest problem with Twitter is once you start liking certain tweets and once you start directing your attention towards certain people on Twitter, all of your feed becomes political, either leaning left or leaning right, and you get a streamline of just one side of the argument. And so the way that Twitter feeds obviously work is they're just going to keep pumping you the information that you think you're going to like. And so it's, it's super easy to get caught up in a bias that occurs on Twitter and on all social media, really. And so I, I encourage a lot of people to go out outside of their, their political you know, beliefs and agendas and, and try to listen to both sides of an argument in order to, to really understand an issue and to really formulate a, a well-informed opinion on an issue. Yeah. Uh, Sophia, you look like you wanted to, add something here um i have listened to the joe rogan experience in passing just from like my friends and stuff listening to it and i really do enjoy that i think it's very easy to understand um entertaining and he has like really good um guests come on the podcast so. and did you do you rely a lot on social media for your information or yeah, I rely a lot on social uh, on social media. I also like I am partial to like NBC News and CNN. So like sometimes at night, like I'll watch that. And I know that's like more like left leaning, but I like to get my information from there. Okay, I think we heard from just about everybody. So a variety of sources. I'm pleased to hear that there's some mainstream media, and uh, of course, so uh, social media is is everywhere. Uh, Megan, did you want to add anything? I I didn't want to. Um, I was just going to say, like, in my house, we watch the news every night. And so we'll switch between, like, MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, just trying to cover, like, a bunch of different bases and hear from, like, both sides of the debate. And, like, Sophia, I use social media for hours every day. And I do see a lot of information about, like, what's going on in terms of the election and everything on social media. And it's really difficult for me to try to, like, discern what's the truth and what's just and inaccurate and so i try very hard not to like share or repost anything that hasn't been verified by at least a few other sources but it can be very difficult for sure did any of you experience uh encountering what clearly was blatant falsehood or misinformation uh during the campaign any any particular uh anecdote about that i don't know can't think of anything special specific so I actually have one. Uh, this is Cole speaking again. One of them was a video of, I think, Joe Biden on a news network. It was like a split screen. You had the reporter on one side, Joe Biden on the other. And I think that it was a doctored video, but it had Joe Biden snoring in the video. <laughs> and I saw someone like debunk that as uh, falsehood, but... Um, if someone retweeted that and, and watched that video, they might have thought that Joe Biden was sleeping on TV. Right. And it looked like a very real video, but I think it was doctored. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that would have been doctored. <laughs> so, yeah, well, that stuff was out there. Uh, I'm interested in the conversations you had with your friends about politics leading up this election. What can you tell me about that? We've heard so much about the inability to discuss politics, how conflictual it is. Uh, is that really true or was there, did you have some opportunities? I, I, with COVID, obviously your ability to hang out in the hallways and, and uh, chat with your friends is, is a little limited, but uh, what, what was your experience with your friends in the election and conversations? 
What can you tell me about that? This is Sienna speaking. I think for me, my experience, I avoided talking about politics in depth with my friends. Um, anything beyond like just kind of reporting what was happening, I would try to avoid because things can get pretty contentious pretty quickly. Um, I view myself as a more open-minded person, so I'm willing to kind of question things that my friends don't, I think, just because they have their opinions and they're, you know, they're set on their opinion and things could get heated pretty quickly. So I think uh, I just kind of avoided some topics. Um, even if we agreed on the issue, I just felt like even just questioning them on it, they just didn't like to be questioned on it. Were you able to have conversations, Dean? Yeah, I can, I can go. So uh, being a, a Republican on a, on a college campus is, is extremely hard. We actually had a, a meeting with the president about it recently due to some issues that came up, um, people switching majors, teachers kind of going at students for political beliefs and it causing some problems. But upcoming, like, you know, running up to the election, I had I couldn't tell you how many people, maybe like 15, I'm the, I should, I should preface this. I'm the, the VP of the college Republicans here at, at Providence college. And so I was able to sit down with a lot of kids who had reached out to me and said like, Hey, like, do you mind if we just like talk politics for a little bit? And a lot of them were, were kind of these closet Republicans that were like, I don't really get to talk politics with anybody. And they know me as kind of being a little bit more outspoken about my beliefs and, and, and being open to having these kinds of conversations with people. Um, it's something that we've really been been adamant about trying to do this year and trying to be open and, and interested in, in having these facilitated and, and good discussions. And uh, there were there were maybe 15 kids or so that came out to me and just like, can we just sit down and talk politics for an hour? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. But they didn't they didn't feel comfortable doing it with, you know, their friends, their housemates, um, people of different beliefs. And I thought, you know, it's a it's a sad thing going going forward that there's there's such this polarization that kind of makes it so that, you know, people might be in Sienna situation where, you know, you guys might even share beliefs, but it's, it's difficult to have a conversation because you don't want to, you don't want to make anybody upset. Yeah. Cole, did th those conversations include people who disagreed with you, like uh, Democrats and, and the like, am I understanding you correctly? I'm, I'm sorry, Dean. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've had, I've had discussions with people, you know, out and about, I try to try to not do it when I'm out on a Friday night, maybe. But uh, if, if I see people out and around, you know, I'll, it's some people that are, that are Democratic. I, I called my buddy, actually, on, uh, on an issue regarding uh, BLM. Uh, he, uh, he's somebody I've respected and known for a while. And I just I kind of wanted his take on it just because I didn't I didn't really understand the, the, the opposite perspective. And I was on FaceTime with him for an hour just catching up and talking about politics and how his life's going and different things. And so, you know, it's, it's both sides of the aisle that I, I really try to reach out to and try to have these conversations with because, you know, you can't, you can't really fix the argument or you can't really fix the problem if you just stick to, you know, me talking to Republicans as a Republican that doesn't really get, us, you know, us anywhere. But I always, whenever I finish a conversation uh, like that with somebody that's, that's a Republican, I say, you know what, like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be afraid to express these beliefs, but you should be able to have these kinds of dialogues with people that have different beliefs and not maybe let it bother you and maybe stay level-headed about it so that, you know, we can diffuse the, the tenseness of the, the political polarization. Yeah, so that's a great ideal, Dean, but I'm wondering from some of the rest of you, were you able to, like Dean, uh, manage to have those conversations, you know, with people you disagreed with? Was that, was that part of, or is it, does it continue to be part of the conversation? Well, this, this is this is Carson speaking, and um, I had I actually had a lot of good discussions, and I had a similar uh, situation as Dean, where I had like some of my close buddies would kind of just come into my dorm when I'd be doing homework, and they'd be like, "Do you want to sit down and talk about Joe Biden for twenty minutes?" And I'm like, "Sure, yeah." Like kind of I kind of caught off guard, but it was those were all like really fun discussions. But one of my friends, he actually runs a Trump um, can't like kind of like supportive Trump Instagram page, if you will, and. Um, He's a very staunch uh, conservative. And I actually found that, you know, like, especially after the election now with a lot of the debate that the election was legitimate or not, I actually haven't been able to have discussions with him just because it's been so hard to, you know, like it just feels like we've been pushed farther and farther apart and, and it sucks that we can't have these discussions. But at the same time, it's just so frustrating to hear someone, you know, say stuff that you feel like is so not factual and, you know, like when, when the first presidential debate came around, he said to me, Carson, shouldn't Joe Biden take a drug test? And I'm like, no, he shouldn't take a drug test. And I just can't even debate this with you. Like I have to, I have to move on with my day. So 
I think in some ways it's been a little frustrating and it's kind of, as a political science major, I'm sure some of the people on the podcast feel the same way. It's kind of sad that you can't have these like, you know, like interesting discussions where you expand your own knowledge and get to know someone that is on the other side. And I'm, I describe myself as a moderate independent and I couldn't even talk to someone who is a conservative. Yeah. Some of the rest of you, what are your experiences? Sophia, have, have you been able to have political conversations or how have they, those gone? Um, well, so kind of going off of what Sienna and Carson have said, like, I find myself like, I'm a pretty open-minded person and I'm like willing to listen to like both sides just because I feel like everyone deserves to like have their voice heard. Um, but I found myself, I think even since 2016, kind of getting more and more like, I guess, frustrated easily with the opposite like viewpoint. And it's kind of, I mean, it's upsetting to me because like I would love to have these conversations and I've had, I've have had these conversations, but I think especially the last like, months or so it's been really difficult to like hear the other side just because like I don't agree with it so like strongly um and I've had friends like one of my friends had a really hard conversation with her mom about voting and her mom wanted to vote for the opposite candidate she did and they got in this big blowout fight over it and I think it's just it's so hard for me to see that like see people who are so close like friends Mm -hmm. fighting over this and at that point like kind of like Sienna like I kind of just steer away from it unless it's like my very close friends who I like I feel like I can confide in like safely without like knowing that they're like I'm going to hurt their feelings or they're going to hurt mine yeah and even with with those close friends are those friends that are going to mainly agree with you uh, or with those close friends you might be able to broach differences yeah so a lot of my like closer friends we align ideologically So it's pretty, I think it's more easy to have like conversations about like our viewpoints, because even if we like fray a little bit from each other, at the end of the day, I feel like our baseline is pretty similar. Um, So I feel like that could be more of a constructive conversation for me. But when it's like completely different ideologies, um, I think it's a little bit harder. How are students on campus handling this post-election period where we have a president who's refusing to concede and and again, with making uh, what would seem to be uh, pretty clearly false allegations about illegal voting and the like. Um, I mean, it's, it's for me, an old guy who's voted in lots of presidential elections, I've never seen anything like this. Um, it's, it's not normal for America. Um, is, has there been any, a lot of discussion on campus about that, about the this uncertainty in the post-election period? So I would say in terms of discussion about it, I personally haven't really heard much between students. What I will say is though, I think it might've been the day of November 3rd or November 4th, or maybe a week after when Biden was declared the president elect. It seemed like there was a bunch of jubilation around campus. Like you heard, music coming out of this dorm, you hear cheers over here. And it was, there was just a sense of jubilation. Um, I don't know if anyone can attest to that, anyone else on the call, but that's what I kind of felt in terms of atmosphere. Uh, It just seemed like it switched towards a positive note once um, the media declared or uh, recognized Joe Biden as the president-elect. Anybody else experienced that, those of you who are on campus? Carson and CNN. Yeah, definitely. Like the sun was shining, people were playing frisbee, everyone was out laughing. The vibe was very, very light. I think yeah. that day. And Dean, how do your Republican friends react to that? Of course, not in the same atmosphere. Now, uh, you know the the campus and most college campuses in general um, were probably more pro Biden. Obviously, more more youthful people were pro Biden, so you would expect that kind of result to occur on a college campus. And, you know, I was, I was very happy. Me and uh, me and our president kind of prefaced it early on. We said, listen, if, if we win the election, you carry your head high. If we lose the election, you carry your head high, you carry your head level. You don't do foolish things. There's no need for that. There's absolutely none. You know, there were, there were boarding windows in downtown Providence. And we were like, if I see a single one of you there, boy, the things I would do, like, you know, it's, there's no need for actions like that. And I think, honestly, you know, I'm happy for Biden supporters that they won. You know, it's a tremendous feeling. I got to have it in 2016. It felt great. 
But at the end of the day, I don't, you know, I don't think it calls for a lot of negativity. Um, and especially on the part of Republicans, you know, we hope to God keep the Senate. And so it was one of those things where it's like, you know, we might have lost the presidency, but there's a lot of there's a lot of, you know, Republican support out there still. We did very well in the House. We did very well in the Senate. We might have lost the presidency and it's not the end of the world. It's not the death of the Republican Party. And it's not something you need to doom and gloom over. And so, you know, I, I don't obviously support Trump's rhetoric claiming that he won the election or that there's all sorts of voter fraud. You know, there are specific instances of voter fraud, but nothing I think that's going to completely reverse the outcome of this election. Um, you know, he, he'll get his time in court. Time will pass. Eventually, I think he will concede. I don't, I don't think utter chaos is going to take place. But at the end of the day, you know, I, was, I was very pleased with the, the lack of chaos. Yeah. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was kind of taken aback myself. I'll, I'll put in my two cents here. Before the election, the administration was sending around sort of cautions about oh, there might be uh, violence and conflict on campus. And uh, knowing PC students, I, I found that hard to believe. Uh, and none of it did happen, right? I mean, I, I don't, I didn't, have you, any of you heard of any instance of any kind of conflict between PC students about the outcome? Yeah, I think that's, that was overblown. And that's good for democracy. So look, uh, we've been talking quite a while now. Uh, I did want to turn the conversation a bit to the future. I mean, you're young folks, uh, you got a lot of years, years ahead of you, and have you been able to give any thought to how this election, this, this uh, what we've gone through here, uh, might affect the country in the future and affect your own lives? Uh, how, how do you think about your own future? And are you hopeful? Are you pessimistic? There's a lot of, a lot of concern, uh, out there in the media universe about the future of American democracy and are we going through a, a period of decline in democratic politics? I know, what do you think of all that? Is there, or should we be worried about our democracy or uh, as first time voters, uh, should we be, continue to be somewhat hopeful? Uh, and I'm, I'm not gonna let Dean speak first because I, I, I think he's, he is an optimistic fellow and so I think I know what he's going to say, but from some of the rest of you, we'll get to Dean in a minute. This is Cole speaking. So for me, what frightens me the most isn't really what comes next in terms of what politicians arise out of this. Um, you know, I think that people who are intelligent are going to rise to the political scene and be capable. Um, so I, I don't see a fear there of like the next uh, Republican leader coming up. I don't see an issue there of that leader turning, uh, you know, more towards like authoritarianism or something. Um, so I, I think that the politician response will be okay. But what frightens me most is the amount of people who look at the 70 plus million people who voted for Trump and instantly have a label for them. That's kind of my biggest fear. Um, it's like there's an automatic intolerance simply based on the fact, oh, you voted for Trump? Okay, that makes you this. And then they list out a scroll of every box that that person supposedly checks. Um, so I, I'm just worried that we won't be able to reconcile those automatic preferences or labels. And I think that the American people um, deserve to you know, be more respectful of each other. Um, and just recognize humanity, really. Yeah, you mentioned uh, opponents of Trump voters labeling them. Are, do you see it going the other way too, Cole? Do I understand you're saying it, it works both ways? So I think Trump voters are maybe more like self-centered, for lack of a better word, and not as, maybe not as judgmental of the type of people um, you know, certainly judgmental of, oh, this is what you believe. Like that's preposterous. I'm sure Trump voters think that, but I wouldn't say it's an automatic, you're an evil person. Um, and I know that it's a bit exaggerated, um, but kind of that idea, I don't think flows from Trump voters to Biden voters as profoundly as from the left to the right. Well, that's interesting. Do, do, do you all agree with that? 
I, Mrs. Carson speaking. I would say I do agree um, with what Cole said. And I thought it was well said. Um, um, but I also think um, I, I hope that I think that with time that's going to heal. I, like Dean, I'm a little bit of an optimistic person as well. Um, and oftentimes, if you're optimistic in politics, you can find yourself pretty disappointed. But the um, I think that over time we're going to see people come back together. And I think my greatest fear is that this polarization and these partisan politics are going to continue the next four years. Um, I just don't know how much people can take that anymore. It, the health of the nation, I think, is is in jeopardy when we do that kind of stuff. And I think that kind of the thing that Cole just talked about is exasperated when we have partisan politics. So if we don't, if our leaders don't start to come together and get things done, then how are, I don't think it's, I think it's really hard for the people to. And my hope is that we're going to have some coming together in the next few years, not just on policy, but also as a nation on certain things. I think if we unite, we could really, I think we could take down the coronavirus. I think we can get some things done. I also think and this might be optimistic, but I do think that Joe Biden and Mitch McConnell are going to get things done together. And that, that's my greatest hope for the next four years. Personally, I mean, I'm entering the workforce just like everybody else in this podcast. I'm working in the, entering the workforce in the next four years. So Selfishly, I was going to be worried about who's going to be the president, no matter what, for that. Sienna, what what about you? What are you thinking about in terms of the future? And um, I mean, I agree with the problems that Cole and Carson identified. I think uh, there's a dangerous propensity of us to kind of paint false caricatures of the other side, and I think it's something both sides do. Um, I think in recent times, it's probably been coming more from the radical left than not, but not to blame them. I think, I think it bounces back and forth throughout history. But uh, focusing on the future, um, I mean, I think we know that partisanship is now as big of a problem as it is. And I think that's at least one step forward in the right direction. Now we're at, we're at a crucial kind of crossroads where we can decide to do something about this problem or we can continue down the wrong path. But I am hopeful that we'll, we'll start to talk to each other and listen to each other more because um, I think for people, like even people that hated Trump, I think they've kind of realized not talking to people, not letting people share their opinions openly and express their support for Trump got us this president that we didn't even know people supported as much as they did. So I feel like, um, I think we're kind of starting to realize the importance of having these discussions with each other. And I think it's going to be a slow process of getting there, but um, acknowledgement is always the first step. Okay. Uh, Megan and Sophia, you're sitting there. I can see you on Zoom. Very thoughtful. Are you, are you less optimistic? I think I would honestly have to agree with what like Sienna and most others have said that I think my biggest hope for the future is just that, we can kind of get over this deep, like traumatic, um, invasive polarization and just become more united and more unified. I think that's really what we need in these next few years um, the most. Well, I find it interesting in your conversations that, that you see this as mainly a problem of people on the left being more accepting of the right. And I have to say, I honestly kind of wonder about that, that, um, isn't there a problem on the other side? How can the, can the Trump supporters, right now they're going around saying that Biden, a lot of them are, they, they, last weekend they were massing in the streets and saying Biden was an illegitimate president and the election was being stolen. Um, uh, that's not very accepting of the other side, is it? Am I wrong about that? I think a lot of that has to do with the rhetoric that's coming out of Trump right now. I think a lot of it is the fact that the president tweets every day that he won the election and that the election is being stolen from him. I think that's the kind of rhetoric that drives up this base that he's had for a while to take arms in the streets and essentially say, you know what, we're not going to back down until our president backs down. I think come the middle of January, that won't happen again. I think by the time the president concedes and he gets out of office and all of the court cases have been heard and all of, the, all of the, the votes have been counted and, you know, we come to a, a realization that, you know, probably Joe Biden won the election. I think a lot of those supporters are, are going are gonna to quell a little bit and say, okay, you know what, we lost. That's okay. It happens. You, don't, you can't win every election. And at the end of the day, I think that a lot of the rhetoric that had come or previous to the election was not, was not Trump supporters saying, oh, you know, these Biden supporters are terrible. 
but I lost Twitter followers, Instagram followers. I had people message me privately, you know, saying how terrible of a person I am for supporting Trump. You know, there were, there were numerous Instagram stories I saw of people that say it's, you know, it's not about Biden. It's about these things. And then it's the next post is if you're a Trump supporter, you support the same, or you don't support the same list of things. And then the next post is if you're a Trump supporter, you're an anti-Semite, you're racist, you're, homophobic, you know, all these different things that are, are not true, right? A, a majority of Trump supporters are, are not any of those things. And so a lot of that was the rhetoric that was coming out of the left due to a lot of hate of Trump. And a lot of Trump supporters don't vote for Trump because of his rhetoric. I would say most supporters don't vote for Trump because of his rhetoric. But at the end of the day, it was, it was a lot of tension um, from the left, specifically, at least in, in my case, you know, toward the right, right? A lot, of, a lot of people on the left saying these terrible things about the right. And I don't think I ever saw, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong, maybe they can, they can comment on, on the flip of that, but I don't think I've ever seen a Republican post something that was like, if you support Joe Biden, you're racist or sexist or homophobic or any of those things. a socialist. No, I don't. I don't think they do that either. I think I don't think that Joe Biden is a socialist. I don't. You know, I think there are certain people in the Democratic Party that support socialist policy, but at the end of the day, you're not labeled to your candidate. You know, you don't follow the policies individually the same way that your candidate does, right? In the in a two in a two party system, you, you're you're sort of forced to pick one side or the other. Obviously, you can you can choose not to vote, and a lot of people did do that this year. But at the end of the day. I, I don't see nearly as much of it coming from the right toward the left and not nearly in as hateful of a way. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure, Dean, that I agree with that completely. I, I saw a lot of, of pe- people standing outside their house holding guns as Black Lives Matter demonstrators go by the front. That looks pretty hateful to me. So, I mean, I, 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 I would personally see this in a more balanced terms that that the partisan partisanship works both ways uh the the, the radicalism is existing on both sides uh, i would i would counter that just to the extent of of that being out of out of fear of of protesting getting getting violent i think holding a holding a gun and not shooting it is not a is not a violent act but more of an act of please don't come and, and rob my house um and so, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think that that is, that is as violent. Okay. Any, anybody response to that? I think we're getting into some controversy here. So. Yeah, I, I would say that um, I do agree that recently that it feels as if there's been more uh, name calling and um, assumptions made going from the left to the right. And I would say that that's mainly because of what's happened this past summer, the unfortunate killing of George Floyd and other um, black people. And I think that that, I think a lot, that's when we saw a lot of like the, if you vote for Trump, you're racist. You know, we, we talked about Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan has a great quote. He says that uh, not every racist, not every Trump supporter is a racist, but every racist is a Trump supporter. And so like, that's obviously where that comes from, that we see these people coming out of the woodwork. They're like pro, pro-Trump and they have these racist rhetoric. But I think that that's more recent. And I think that's mainly because of the, Black Lives Matter movement gaining so much momentum. But I would agree with Dr. Hudson that previous to this past summer, that a lot of that name calling and going back and forth was pretty even keel. I mean, it was pretty even. Um, Communist and socialist are thrown as much from the right as any other insult that's thrown from the left, in my view. And that's a huge thing that Trump's pushed. He, He wanted to lump together the Democrats under one Bernie Sanders AOC platform of this like super liberal socialist platform. That's not what Joe Biden was. So that I did see a lot of that. And um, I think that that, that was a problem. And that when stuff like that happens, I think it really worsens the divide. Okay. Well, this has been a great conversation. I'm so happy that you agreed to join us here and be on your newsfeed. You had a lot of interesting insights. I'm impressed by what I think is some optimism here that we can overcome uh, these partisan uh, divisions. Uh, I don't hear anybody uh, worrying about uh, the future and that's great. Uh, I think young people should be optimistic. Uh, Leave it to us older people to to, to be the pessimists. Uh, I know when I was young, I was very optimistic. So so that's that's a good way to be. Uh, And uh, 
uh, appreciate so much your your insights. Uh, I learned a lot about you know how you uh, saw this election, and and I'm sure our listeners are going to benefit by by hearing what you had to say. Uh, and uh, uh, as PC students, you're all off uh, home. Uh, we'll not see you here on campus for uh, a number of weeks now until second semester starts. Uh, so have a, a good holiday. And thanks so much to Cole Doherty, Carson Giles, Sophia Carrillo, Dean Williams, Sienna Strickland, and Megan Labe. Uh, thank you for joining us on Beyond Your Newsfeed. And as always, thanks to Chris Judge for taking care of all the editing problems and issues uh, with uh, putting this uh, a podcast uh, up uh, into the to, to the ether. Uh, and thanks to all our listeners. And please tell four friends about Beyond Your Newsfeed.